Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. again for joining us for another episode of the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. This week we've got a very special guest with us, with me, my counterpart and extraordinaire, Joshua Wenner. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm excited for today's call. It's going to be really juicy. Beautiful. And I'd also like to introduce our special guest, Lance Freeman. Lance, how are you doing today? I'm good, good. Uh, a little nervous, but that's because this is my very first podcast. Oh, we're so, so happy to have you with us. Lance is a longtime dear, dear friend of mine. And uh, very interestingly, he is one of my main catalysts for being with you guys today, for being on this podcast, for helping stir part of my journey into coaching um, part of this love for relationships and for diving even more into this work. I've always had a strong pull to study, immerse myself and help people in this area. And I remember very specifically, this was in 2011, I believe it is. And I just yeah. uh, moved to San Francisco and I remember having a conversation with Lance and I remember, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday <laughs> and he had just got off the phone with somebody and he was telling me how he was helping somebody or was about to help somebody um, in context of somebody's relationship. And they were asking him for his advice and to like either help mediate. I don't remember all the specific details and I was, I was so curious on how he was going about doing that. And he was telling me that he was taking um, this counseling certification program. And part of that program, you, you were doing lots of um, counseling with people. And he was working, I believe, specifically with a couple. And I was so interested in it. I got the information and immediately signed up that year or for that next coming year. And that kind of catapulted my whole journey into the more professional realm of, of doing this work. And that was in 2012. And, you know, since then, I've had the pleasure of just going into so many beautiful deep dives um, with Lance. And me and Josh and Lance had this really great opportunity to do a great men's hike uh, about a year ago where we just, for a few days in the backcountry, just dis discovered and explored all of these really great topics about relationships and um, other items that we're about to to get in here to today. But before we jump into any of those topics, I'd like to uh, bring in Lance, introduce Lance. Maybe he can share just a little bit about, um, you know, every time I've talked to him, he always has really beautiful insights on people and relationships and uh, fulfillment, really, um, in, in a lot of different aspects. And so, you know, I'd like for him to maybe introduce himself and to, you know, maybe share like how long he's really had this passion for, you know, helping people. I, I see people all the time come out of the woodworks and asking Lance for help and for his feedback and for, for his wisdom and, and for his guidance. So, so I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Lance, and um, love to see part of, you know, what your journey has been 
as far as, you know, diving a little bit more into this work. Thanks guys for having me on your show. I always like to say our, our coping mechanisms become our superpowers. And I sort of grew up in two separate worlds um, (laughs) where I was an outsider in both of those worlds and um, in order to just uh, sort of survive in those worlds, I had to really, um, you know, sort of s- stay focused and aware of and, and, and not take on what other people around me were putting on me oftentimes. And uh, in the process of that, I just, um, I ended up being sort of that go-to guy for a lot of friends, you know, going all the way back to high school days where people would just seek out my, my advice and counsel. And so sort of fast forward to what is now about 10 years ago. And I was at a point in my life where I was at a transition place and looking to see how I was going to shift things and what might be the next iteration that I was going to, to evolve into. And uh, I had, you know, sort of coaching and counseling was one of those things that I I felt was uh, uh, in certain ways, a natural fit because it's something that was sort of, universe or spirit had always sort of pulled me into um i would you know be in random places and people that i didn't know would just start talking to me and i would end up saying just the right word at the right time that would help them pop in some awareness that they were right on the edge of and that was happening happening pretty consistently and so i thought well if i'm going to do this I need to sort of develop a, an organized toolbox that I can actually go to, you know, if I'm going to actually be charging people for the services, it's one thing to just be giving advice <laughs> that, that is worth what you pay for it. Right. Um, and uh, it's another thing to actually, you know, have a, a shingle up and a, and a business around it. And um, so I just, you know, was just researching. I had always been doing, um, um, you know, self-awareness workshops and weekend programs and things like that pretty much all my life. And I'd done a fair amount of therapy and, um, I had run across, uh, this program that was, um, a certification program that lasted about a year and really had a good collection of tools that I felt would at least get me started on, you know, at least considering whether this was a, uh, an upper or a place that I could actually start. And, um, that's kind of how I got here. Relationships and relating, it's kind of what we're all about in, in the human community and coaching and counseling around that is, is sort of the gift that just keeps giving. It's one of the, it's the area where I feel like I have, you know, an endless amount of energy for, and when I'm working with clients, oftentimes the, the, whatever it is that they're working on somehow ends up being a mirror for myself and some of the things that I'm working on. And 
you know, more often than not, when I'm able to draw from my own personal experience, it ends up landing more effectively as a mirror for my clients when, you know, they're working through similar types of things. So um, it's, it's just been, uh, it's been a great fit for me in, in my life and in my profession. And that's, I guess, kind of how we are, where we are now, is uh, talking about relationships and relating from a personal level to, you know, a poly level and how, you know, all of that sort of is, it's all related. It's all connected. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed the uh, last time that we were all three together. We were, we were at a Day of the Dead uh, for, for Scott's father. And, um, I had some really good time. We were all painted up and, and just had a really good time together. And we got into some interesting dialogue that went on late in, you know, burning the, the, the midnight oil, um, about attachment theory and, um, how it relates to us and our families. And it was really interesting dialogue and, and thought it would be really fun to, to talk through and have all of our perspectives on it and, and just different aspects of it. So, so, uh, I'm curious, uh, how you came across it or, or where you found it and what, what initially got you interested in it. And, and then we can dive into more pieces around it, but I'm curious just where it, where it came from and how you initially found out about it and, and what you were looking to solve or work on and, and why it became a good fit for you. I think probably, you know, I, I belong to a, a few uh, relationship and coaching groups on Facebook. And um, I also um, uh, am in some communities that um, revolve around open relationship and, and polyamory. And so polyamory is one of those areas where um, our triggers have a tendency to come up a lot more regularly uh as you know not that they don't come up in monogamy but they come up they're 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 stimulated more often in poly because of so many different reasons but um i think that's probably where i first began to hear about attachment theory and um how people in could shift sort of their state of being from being securely attached to being insecurely attached based on who it is that they're in relationship with and how that that can evolve back and forth. And, you know, that was sort of my introduction to it. Um, I love, I love what you, I love what you said, just, just to pause for a second, because those that are listening, um, you know, there's a lot of friends that, that all of us have that are in the poly space and, and maybe just to uh, maybe take a second more to go a little deeper there. I loved what you said of how there's a lot more triggers and for people that don't know, like maybe somebody's hearing this kind of thinking, what I've only been in a traditional relationship or ever even heard of those. Maybe this is way outside their world for a moment. Uh, maybe just take a moment because that's part of your world to describe a little bit about what that means. Uh, because I think it would be really interesting as a, I, I see it so clearly like, wow, there's so much more triggers that come up because of that lifestyle. And so it leads perfectly into this, into fulfillment and how it would benefit anybody from the conversation. But I think it would also be interesting for somebody 
um, of just understanding a little bit more about that. Is that um, could you maybe walk through a little bit about that from your perspective in, in describing it? And, and again, I know it can be complicated, but maybe a, a simpler way of just relating to it of like, you know, what it looks like. Polyamory just means um, many loves, essentially, versus monogamy or many relationships and versus monogamy being one single relationship or one one relationship for life, essentially, is what monogamy means. And, um, you know, having had, you know, 35, 40 years of relating um, in a monogamy sort of model, um, I just kind of kept sort of running up against similar walls and similar patterns. And, um, you know, I think like everybody, um, we deal with uh, the sense that we want to be monogamous and not really understanding that monogamy means mating for life of which none of us do. So we adapt our model to something that we call serial monogamy, which is, you know, mating one at a time, but sort of changing however many relationships we have in life. Um, and um, so polyamory is a, also sort of a big range. It's not one specific thing. There's many different types of polyamorous um, models of relating that are available to us, but it is um, sort of a catch-all term that speaks to it. I tend to like to use just open relating um, because it, 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 it speaks to anything other than the monogamy thing, which I feel is a lot more open and spacious. And I believe that when we go into relationships, you know, whoever our, you know, our dance partner is, is who it is that we're going to be working with to create the container for each relationship that we're in. That's more of an open model for, for how I like to function. Um, and, uh, you know, once you, a lot of times that's sort of the simple, easy entry point for a lot of people into polyamory is kind of more like polysexual, really more than necessarily polyamory. A lot of people think they will, they want to try out polyamory because they don't want to commit to one sexual partner for the rest of their lives. And that doesn't feel, you know, you know, healthy for them. There's some fear around that. So they'll dive into this sort of lifestyle and usually run up against a whole lot of triggers because our, our entire society, our entire culture is built around the monogamy model. And so we don't really have a, an awareness or skill set and or support to you know, to, to help hold us as we are practicing non-monogamy or open relating. And um, so that's sort of where I kind of started getting into some of these Facebook groups because I was seeing them pop up with, within my friends who were, you know, also, you know, either coaching or, you know, being challenged by these, these situations that would come up in their relationships. Like Lance said, um, because you start to 
wean a little bit more into the polyamory realm, there's just more hands in the cookie jar. Um, <laughs> Literally. Uh, <laughs> you can, you can feed, yeah, forgive me on that one. But, uh, <laughs> Pun intended or not intended. Yeah. No pun intended on that one. But, you know, but I will say, um, you know, for those who are listening and, and this whole idea of, of polyamory is kind of new to them, uh, which is actually the ironic thing, which I believe that that monogamy on humanistic scale and historical scale is more of a newer concept, mm-hmm. you know, within the last, you know, 100, 200 years, uh, probably even less than that. But there's a, from my personal perspective, there's kind of a range from fully monogamous to polyamorous with multiple um, partners, sexual partners. And then they are kind of in open relationships that are kind of like in the middle. So, you know, some people might call them monogamish, but what that all entails is that entails deeper, broader uh, tools, understanding of oneself and the levels of communication, which has to really start to exemplify to, to be able to do that on a um, conscious level and to also do it on a level that is, that is healthy. So, um, you know, why don't you explain a little bit more um, just how you're seeing kind of attachment theory come up, what pieces of it are actually blocking people's fulfillment in relationships and why maybe how in uh, multiple relationships or um, open or maybe even poly versus monogamy, why that tends to become maybe a little bit more sticky if the the right tools and communications aren't kind of right. set up. Right, right. Okay, so I'm not going to proclaim to be an expert in attachment theory on any level. It's it's one of those things that kind of once you get the basic understanding, it it's like a flower. It opens up and starts to make sense. And so in so many different ways and so many different contexts. Um, but I'll just kind of give up some basic sort of definitions or descriptions. Um, uh, if we use um, secure attachment as sort of the, the, the center point that we all would ideally like to, to function from what attachment theory speaks to is that in our our very first primary um, attachment experience, which is usually with our parent, our mother, and or our father, or both, and sometimes it can be a caregiver, um, but that primary experience based on how present and consistent that experience was sort of is sets the die that's cast for the rest of our lives, essentially in terms of how we relate from a secure place or an insecure place. So for um, uh, example, you've, you've got the secure place, say in the center, and then there's an anxious attachment and there's an avoidant attachment. And uh, those are both insecure attachments. There's also something called a disorganized attachment. Um, But those are sort of the insecure attachments. So um, the the definition of anxious attachment is when uh, it develops in a person when the caregiver has been inconsistent in their responsiveness and availability confusing the child about what to expect 
as an adult, this person acts clingy and at times finds it um, difficult to trust their partner. Anxious meaning as an adult, we tend to be clingy and need more reassurance uh, from our partner in a relationship. And we'll just put this in the context of monogamy for now um, because it's just simpler. You're just dealing with one partner. Um, and so the attachment experience is the same regardless. On that, would you say, would you think that would stem from almost the same type of um, feeling of inadequacy? You know, like, is it the same root or is it a bunch of different roots? Like maybe this one's uh, shame or this one's this, but yeah. it's all being projected as this yeah. kind of, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think um, the, the anxious is, it can be, I think, oftentimes connected with self-esteem, um, which is a whole different wormhole in and of itself. But this attachment theory has to do more with how we feel in relationship to somebody else, which is why it's so powerful in relationships in general, right? Is because there's, um, there's a dance that happens when we're, when we're relating with anybody. We're getting multiple types of feedback that are coming from their their body react, their body movements and, and and communication. There's their tone of voice. There's um, you know physical feedback that we're getting. There's energetic feedback that we're getting all the time. And based on how we are attached within ourselves, we're going to read that feedback in certain ways. The anxious is is that. Um, type of insecure attachment that happens when we have, well, in this particular uh, case, it says that there's um, an inconsistency in the responsiveness of that primary, um, uh, uh, usually your mom, we'll just say your mom, where who knows for what all various reasons um, the mother wasn't able to sort of the, create a secure attachment for the child. The child wasn't able to create a secure attachment with the mother. Maybe, you know, breastfeeding could have been a problem or, you know, somehow um, oftentimes what will happen is if there's like a, um, um, a difficult pregnancy and uh, the baby is born, but the mother is struggling. And so the baby's born. They separate the baby from the mother while they take care of the mother. But then the, mother, but then the baby is sort of in an incubator and not connected to the heartbeat of the mother for a, some extended period of time. And then, you know, some usually they'll in the hospitals, they'll bring somebody around to connect if, they, if the mother's not there. And what they're saying is that, that that sort of inconsistency confuses that child because they're not able to uh, securely attach to sort of the human spirit or the human heartbeat, that human consciousness that, you know, if left too long, you start to go into other kinds of problems like, you know, where, where you get sort of sociopathic tendencies where um, uh, a person might not ever create those kinds of um, tools of empathy, which allow them to feel the um, condition of others around them. What I'm understanding on a high level, it almost just feels like 
uh, a mother's like not there enough to give you security and support. And it makes you question. Um, it almost makes you lean in craving that. And then conversely, uh, the avoidant is somebody's like overly there, like almost like so much in your space that it almost is like, I need space. I'm not safe because I don't have my own privacy. I don't. I'm my, so one, one is craving security and space from like, um, I need that. I have that space for me. And the other one is craving it like their own individual space. And, and it seems like if either one's an extreme, then one leans in to counter it or one leans out. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I think that's how it it ends up sort of playing out my understanding of how it, how it's developed is a little bit different. So if we jump over to the avoidant attachment style, it says that this, uh, this style develops when a caregiver is neglectful. Um, these are, these are the children that play by themselves and develop a belief that no one is there to meet their needs. As an adult, they typically label themselves as very independent. And so, it's not necessarily that they had a parent that was overbearing necessarily. In fact, it's kind of saying that they were sort of left on their own a lot and that being left on their, their own required their coping mechanism was to play by themselves and to be self-soothing in that context. But if it's, if it's done from an insecure place, it's becomes that coping mechanism also becomes a protection um, uh, a protection coping mechanism where when people get too close, you start to feel smothered. You start to feel like you're not able to sort of identify your feeling state when too much energy is around you. So you pull yourself away because that was what you had to do in the past for self-soothing as the young child. So as an adult, it's a, it's a skill set that you use um, for self-soothing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's de- that's definitely something that I can relate to. That I, right. I definitely went through right. when I was younger, for sure. Sure, and then that's kind of how I was. What I was saying before in my introduction is sort of the, the I ended up sort of just being thrust into a life where I was both between you know a, a town where where my house was, which was an all white community where I wasn't accepted. And then my father had a business in an all black community where I was not fully appreciated and or accepted there. And so I was this sort of outsider in both communities. And so avoidant sort of just became a natural place of soothing for me because I could not trust anybody else. Mm. Um, um, and then I'll just list this third one, which is called the disorganized attachment. And it says it develops from abuse, trauma, or chaos in the home. A child learns to fear the caregiver and has no real secure base. Um, And that tends to be one that is less spoken about, but it it does exist for people. It's real. and but the ones that tend to get the most play are the anxious and avoidant because for the most part we all grow up in an experience where there's like you know basic levels of trauma and and we figure out how to manage those things and we tend to go towards what works for us and i'm looping it back around to there's a multiple part question so as we start to you know, move forward into our lives and into relationships. Um, 
a lot of these things that we're that we're talking about right now can have excuse me, a pretty big impact on the the quality of the relationship, the fulfillment of the relationship. Um, and it sounds like of, you know, all of the different theories that, that we're talking about, that a lot of it stems from uh, this, this feeling um, or not feeling of completeness. Like I'm, I'm whole and complete. Therefore, I, or I, actually the other way around, I'm not feeling whole and complete in my own personal self. So I start reaching out in, you know, a, a multitude of ways through my partner for these other desires. Does that make sense for these other um, needs that I have? And so I think, you know, my question is, um, you know, when we're in relationships, how can we identify when we're, um, in need of something or whether our partner is and, you know, uh, what can we do to um, help with that situation? Part of what um, you're describing sounds like it would be coming that sort of those kinds of questions of, am I looking for people who complete me, right? Um, who have, you know, um, characteristics that will help me feel more whole that feels that sounds like it's an anxious attachment style right versus uh somebody who's coming from an avoidant attachment style they're not necessarily looking for somebody to complete them they're they're looking for somebody who sort of just adds you know spice to their experience and you know when uh you know uh, when things get too too crazy or whatever that they know how to not crowd me so that I can actually, you know, handle things as I'm used to handling. That would be more of an avoidant um, perspective uh, attachment style. I think what the value of attachment theory is, is that, you know, if, if we all recognize, if we're all able to accept that we're coming in at, as, as whole sovereign beings and that together we're creating this, this this experience, this dance of relationship, it, we're not actually trying to merge into being one person or one entity now that we're together. What that allows us to do is to one, identify where we stand in the spectrum. Are we more secure? Are we more insecure? Um, and, and of course, everybody falls on the spectrum somewhere. Um, there are different, there's a couple different books that are great where you can take some tests that will tell you, um, give you a sort of a guide of where it is you are on the scale. I have a tendency to be more secure, but lean towards avoidant. Some people are, um, can, can I pause you for a second? Would you say, sure. and, and I'm just, this, this is just hitting me as you're talking. Would you say that's a little more of a masculine trait? Would you find that a little bit more typically in men than, 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 than yes. women? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the avoidant. Yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, part of, patriarchy um you know is is the the ideal man is the strong silent type right one who doesn't um doesn't either doesn't have a lot of emotions or doesn't get um overwhelmed by emotions and all that that tends to be 
you know, the Marlboro man. That's the ideal guy that our culture, you know, throws out there is what masculinity is about. As we continue to evolve as a culture, and especially in this current Me Too phase that we're in right now, we're starting to recognize that that might be considered toxic masculinity, right? Versus a healthy version of masculinity, which is, you know, a combination of a balance of both masculine and feminine characteristics and the feminine characteristics being, you know, ones that are more about the emotional and, um, uh, experiences. Of course we all have it. Healthy beings are going to have all of those emotions. We're not stuck into the, um, the categorizations that we have been, that our parents may have been, you know, we're, we're moving more into a fluid mindset as just like we're moving into a gender fluid mindset. It's happening to us, whether we like it or not. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the, the images of men being avoidant, um, are, old and antiquated because those those things were strengths um, now we're looking at them as not necessarily strengths because they're representations of insecurity and both men and women have uh, those insecurities there's a tendency to believe that women are going to be more on the anxious side because it you know we we see you know the characteristics of anxious people as being needy and needing constant reaffirmation or affirmation that they're good or loved. That's what anxious is about. Um, and so it's not true that, you know, mostly women fall into that aspect, but that's the, that's the caricature that our culture gives to us. And so uh, as we can let go of those things, we can actually start to see how we may have one style or the other and or both because people can have both in uh, both avoidant and anxious attachment styles based on who it is and what the circumstance is who it is they're relating to yeah, the context on the anxious that you were just talking about how you know sometimes a lot of the feminine may be uh looking for validation or, or looking to their partner to um almost feel that piece of anxiousness how much, how much influence does the partner actually have? I, I would imagine that they have some influence, but isn't it at the at the core root of it that there's only so much? So say that, um, so say that you're the anxious partner and you're reaching out for your partner to soothe you, to help with that 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 feeling that you have, um, and I'll just call it insecurity for now. But how much? can they actually do to help a piece? Cause I think, isn't it at the core level? It's, it, it's what you're carrying that ultimately makes the difference. And there's only so much they can do unless they become a catalyst for your own internal growth in that area. So going back to what, what we were saying before is how it can shift based on the context and the relationship that you're in. So if you are an anxious person or, or, or insecure on either level, it will be helpful for you if you're in relationship with somebody who's already secure, that they will 
just from a perspective of um, um, mirroring, right? So for example, when, a, when you're standing in front of somebody and you see them yawn, you have a, a neurological pull to yawn along with them, correct? And same thing happens with like laughter. If somebody starts laughing and continues to laugh, you're going to start to feel this energy towards pulling towards laughter. That's sort of like our mirror neurons responding to each other. It shows that we are are connected whether we believe it or not. So if you're in relationship, if you're an anxious person and you get in relationship with an avoidant person, you're going to have a hard time because you need a certain amount of uh, affirmation and reassurance. And what you're getting from your partner is they're pulling away and that feels like abandonment. And so you're, you're not getting the, the feedback that you need from, from your partner to, to feel more secure. Now, if I, if, if you're insecure, but you're dealing with a, a secure relator, that secure relator is going to recognize your your needs and not qualify them as neediness and not see that as something bad and then therefore respond to your needs by giving you the feedback that you're that you're asking for that in and of itself will help calm your nervous system and move you back to a more secure place so the the, the deeper side of attachment theory is that because these these sort of mechanisms are happening on a neurological level on on a precognitive level before as we're babies right a lot of these these reactions that we're having aren't necessarily conscious we can become conscious of them and then therefore we can heal them and move ourselves back towards a more secure relating style but that that's that's the work of therapy right that's the work of of becoming more aware all of this stuff is happening in a precognitive sense our our reactions are happening before we even think about them right um that's why i say they're happening based on sort of the the body language and 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 all that that's happening from the person that we're relating to so yes it's one it's it's our responsibility to 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 get ourselves back to secure but also having a secure relationship and relating to a secure person helps to tune us back to our own center it's kind of like it's kind of like almost like energetic ecstatic dancing right it's like you're both leading and you're both following at the same time and if the music speeds up and you both speed up along with the music then that's great you're contacting in a, in a more frenetic energetic level but if one person slows things down if you're still in connection with them you slow down along with them and so the relationship experience when done in a healthy fashion can, can be very healing for one's nervous system by bringing them back into a secure place. And, it, and it, I remember when we were talking before, it seems like the way, uh, you know, the way to move into a more secure place, cause I'm, I'm definitely avoidant. That's definitely my, 
where I can go, I, I think I'm secure avoidant somewhere in those areas. And I, it's exactly what you said. I noticed some relationships I've had where they lean in. I've exactly, I think I've even said you're too needy, <laughs> you know, like, man, I'm looking at the dog, like, oh man, I'm like, you're too needy. This isn't working. I need my own space. And it's like, it's so interesting to hear it. Like, wow. Okay. They just needed. And I probably did the exact opposite of what they needed. I right. probably was like, oh, <laughs> almost like right. showed them this isn't secure. Um, this is needy, which made them feel guilty or, or shame for what they were craving. Yep. And then instead I pulled even further away. Um, and so I think what really touched me is uh, when we were talking saying, oh, so for me to move more into secure, it's, it's not feeling the need to create more space, but actually leaning in and saying, hey, you're loved, you're supported um, and being there with them. And, and I think you also said for the anxious it's, it's instead of them, the tendency to lean further and further in for them, it's a tendency a little, a little bit further back. So if they start to notice like, wow, I'm really craving this, let me learn, lean back just a little. Is that, is that, did I hear that from you or did I hear from somebody else? What's the, how do they rebalance those polarities or move back to security? Right. I think for an anxious person, it's not so much pulling back as much as it's, um, sort of self-soothing, I think, recognizing that, you know, it, that especially if, if you're an anxious person and you're relating to somebody who's avoidant, you know, you're going to keep bumping your head up against that wall because you're feeling like you're not getting your needs met. And so you keep reaching out to your partner to get those needs met, but your, your partner is avoidant and they're like, Hey, you're kind of smothering me. So I'm, I'm trying to back off. I'm not comfortable up in this, you know, super tight place. So then you're not getting, you're not getting the confirmation that you need from your partner. So ultimately you're in this, this dance back at this push and pull and neither person's getting their needs met unless, you know, there's a way to sort of interrupt that process, break that sort of that 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 trigger pull that's happening so that at least one person can move back into a secure place right and then from a secure place i can i can witness my anxious partner and and not have to pull away from them because i see that this is just something that they need in the moment so that they can feel more secure and because i'm secure i'm not challenged i'm not threatened by their neediness right? It's just, that's just their need in this moment. And that, that will shift once they can ground themselves and become more secure and versus from an anxious, I mean, from an avoidant place, I'm thinking, ah, you know, this person is just can't give me any space. I, I can't be with them right now. And then therefore I don't step forward to, to, to meet them where their need, where their needs are. And I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah. Right. And it sounds like from there, it also comes from a place of, of having the, the cognitive awareness of it as opposed to, because I think what happens in most relationships is we just become emotionally reactive and not really understanding why it is that, um, you know, that these occurrences and maybe these um, uh, lashing out or, or, or request are being made. And so we end up in this kind of like spiral loop and um, and I think what I find interesting too is, um, based on 
you know, what Josh just mentioned, how he is normally portrayed in the relationships. I'm of the similar fashion, uh, but I would say that that primarily I show up in that manner. But there are there have been a couple of women in which I I wasn't that way. I was actually on the the other side as well. Yeah, yeah, yep. Absolutely. And it just depends on, like you said, the dynamic that you're in at that moment, how your relation, how, where your, your partner shows up in that relationship. They, you know, you can have two uh, avoidant people, which tends to be where I tend to go towards is like liking other yeah, avoidance. Because it feels like, oh, you need space too. Great. Yeah. We don't talk for a month, you know, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, um, uh, I think, like you said, the, the, the actual reacting and the communications happening on a, on a, pre-conscious level um, and our ability to sort of understand how the dynamic plays gives us mm, sort of just a, a greater awareness of the field that we're functioning in. And now if we're noticing that we're in, you know, some sort of a communication breakdown or we're, we're not feeling connected to each other for whatever reasons are the reasons oftentimes aren't all that important. It's more about just the fact that we're doing this dance between, you know, our insecure attachment styles. This now gives us an opportunity to, to stop, stop the, the, the triggering process think about it, ground ourselves, right? Breathe, use our tools that bring us back to a more grounded, centered place. We're basically just moving, trying to get ourselves back to secure. And then from that secure place, then we can cognitively sort of look back at what was happening and what each person is needing in this moment that that isn't actually ha- what what needs aren't being fulfilled at this point. Yeah, I, I really love this because what it, what it does is it basically brings the conscious awareness to what's happening, calls out the patterns that takes away from the judgments, which is usually to me, all those judgments are just protecting the heart at, at some core level. And it talks about it openly to say, Hey, here's what's showing up for me right now. I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm just communicating into it and saying, here's what may balance this out a little bit to lean a little bit in. And for me, I know that's been really helpful leaning in when I feel like leaning back has been a, a whole different world of learning to, to lean into it um, and speak into it. And again, not every, I think relationship will work out, but I think, I think it would have shifted a lot of relationships if I could have leaned a little bit in. I also noticed um, for me just saying, Hey, uh, to get clarity, sometimes I need to th- like think, and I don't know if the space for some reason of being around my own energy does it, but I know another key distinction for me is uh, that was a very triggering word to a lot of partners of my past, like, Hey, I need a little bit of space. And they saw that as like the death for some reason, that word. And I don't know, for me, it just was like, he's gone. Yeah. I think that's what, and so just learning to over communicate, Hey, it has nothing. I just need to like reground and like feel myself so then I can show up fully because I'm clear. Um, I wonder if that's a similar, again, I'm, I guess what I'm understanding is how do we identify sooner if we are an avoidant or anxious that we're actually in the pattern, you know, and like, Oh, no way, am I right. actually in this? Is this the, is this a, do I actually need to figure this out? Or is that my story? Is that my bullshit story? Of why I need to take a little bit of space? Right, and it seems valid, right. but really, no, you just lean in. <laughs> 
I mean, I think you're right. I mean, it is your story and it is valid. I mean, our stories are valid, whether they serve us or not, right? And a part of our, our, our lives and our journeys, right, is to, as we, we, we come in, we're, we come into this world where we're this pure spirit, and then we get all of these layers of programming layered on us. And then by the time, you know, we get through our Saturn returns and we're an adult, then the rest of the journey is peeling away all of that programming, right? And getting back to our core self. So these tools of you already know that you're, you're avoidant. And so your coping mechanism may be going towards things that help you ground and get feel more secure so that you can think straight, right? So you use your meditation practices or you go out and you, and you get physical, right? You know, I know you're, you're an athlete, so you go and you get in your body, which is a way of getting out of the head and clearing the mind. All of those are tools that you've used to ground yourself and bring yourself back to center, right? And then from center, you have a much greater capacity, a larger resiliency for your partner and being able to want, and for yourself, right? It's like, you know, take off the mask and breathe for yourself first so that you can then breathe for your partner. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it too is, um, and sometimes this is, you're relaying that to your partner in a way that says, Hey, look, it's, it, it's not you and I'm not trying to avoid it, but, but, but bringing back the spotlight to yourself of like, here, here, I'm feeling off or here's what I need to do in order for me to get back into my heart. So I can approach this in uh, a more productive manner and a more conscious manner. Here's what I need. And what I think is when the other partner kind of understands, even if they don't have a resolution for it, and there's still this kind of like ambiguity of like, wow, we just went through this thing. Um, it was tense. It was great. It didn't feel good. And we don't see the kind of the, 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 the parting of the clouds. Like we don't see the, the resolution for it, but knowing that, hey, here's a process for me to get back into my head and, and, and to get back into my heart and to get back into my body to approach this in a better way. And here's just what I need and I'm not avoiding you. And you know, I, I, I just need these things to come back. I think that alone just almost like resets and, and, and allows both parties to say, okay, cool. Um, we're okay. We don't have a resolution, but you know, we're on the right path. We're, we're on the right trajectory. And I think that, I think, I think sometimes there's that, that, that anxiousness, if you will, of not feeling like, oh, where's this other person? Like, where are we? And, and the ambiguity, um, you know, can really wreak havoc sometimes in a relationship. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, we're social creatures, which means that we thrive off of connection. And when we're feeling disconnected, that's scary. That's, that's uncomfortable. That's why abandonment is one of the, you know, I mean, people who are abandoned can kill themselves. They want to die if they don't feel any connection. The, the root of, of, um, that, that we're learning now, the root of all, you know, um, uh, addiction is coming from lack of connection. So these tools, this, this theory just gives us another tool to understand what's happening for us on a neurological level that maybe before 
the cognitive level where we have our story and we're trying to make meaning of it, we can just, you know, at its very simplest level, recognize that we're uncomfortable and then sort of move to what is it, what is that discomfort about versus sort of trying to put an answer on it and saying, I'm uncomfortable because you're smothering me. And I need to get away from you so that I can get get back in center. Instead, it's like, well, you know, we're we're committed to working through these issues. And right now, I'm not at my best because I'm I'm feeling disor dysregulated, and I need a little bit of space so that I can re-regulate and then come back. And so, anybody who's anxious is now. They're, they're, they're soothed because they know you're not abandoning them. Their need is more reassurance and you're reassuring them that you're not leaving the relationship. You're not, you're not abandoning them. You're going to come back. You're just going to take care of yourself first. So that's, that's a tool that is helpful in that. And that's just, the tool is just knowing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes, I think that's, um, you know, that tool is, is so important. And, you know, for me and, and what I try to bring into my own relationship, when I look at the, you know, the broader scope of how do we bring more fulfillment into our relationships? Uh, one of them for me, and, and you just kind of alluded to it now is when we're in these heats, um, in, in these moments of heat in these moments of tension, if you will, uh, how do we shift from going from the natural inclination for a lot of us to attack, blame, scapegoat our intimate partner, the, the, the people who are closest in our lives mm-hmm. and to say, hey, you said that to me and how dare you do this to me? And like, wow, I'm feeling off because you did this and you did this. And what I've been learning and, and this is, you know, this is a constant work for me is flipping it around to saying, hey, wow, I got really triggered by that. I got really hurt. I'm feeling really off uh, because of what happened, but but I'm taking almost accountability for my feelings. And yes, you may have had some influence on it, but at the end of the day, I'm owning my own feelings and letting you know that you aren't the direct cause for my feelings, but you may have had an influence on them. And so for me, part of my uh, process with Michelle is to try to bring up these tools when I'm in the heat of the moment, because there's so many times I'm just like, fuck, how could you do this? How could you have, you know, let the car out and they got a ticket now. And, you know, I've told you a thousand times or whatever it happens to be, but circling it back around. So I, um, so just to kind of move this forward and to ask you on a, on a more broader scale, um, what do you see as certain items that create fulfillment in relationships, whether it's certain type of tools that you have specific tools or certain types of communication style, or on the flip side, what are some things that you've seen are popping up that are big detriments to bringing in uh, happiness and fulfillment in um, intimate relationships. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Um, uh, I think, um, or let me ask you this. So right now um, you're not married and whether you decide you want to get married or you want to have at least a 
consciously loving relationship that you're looking to build with, what, what are the characteristics that you would love to have in that relationship? Or more importantly, do you feel are crucial in order for you, like a non-negotiable in order for you to have a super high level relationship? You know, I think, you know, a, a certain degree of, of personal work is obviously necessary. A person has to really know themselves and take responsibility for themselves to as great a degree as possible, avoid going into the blaming and shaming of, of other people. Um, do, do, do you want but, to go into that just a little bit more? Um, only because I, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but to me, I feel like if, if a couple can get to that place where to at least the best of ability or at least to um, the overall desire to not want to sit in this, this blame game and to the best of their ability to take accountability, at least for their own feelings, I personally mm-hmm. feel that can be one of the most freeing things that you can do in a relationship, yet I, I feel like it's one of the hardest to do. Mm. Yeah. So I'd love to get either, either one of your opinions on you know what you feel about that one because it took me a really long time to get past the blame game. For me, sort of almost to my own detriment sometimes, I have a tendency to want to take responsibility for you know what's going on in my world, even past the point of you know, when I'm involved with other people that are doing things that are impacting me negatively, um, sort of like the, you know, you did something to me, shame on you the first time. And the second time though, you did it again. Now it's shame on me for letting you do it. Right. Because I'm now aware that this is your tendency and this is what you're going to do if I continue to put myself in a, in a position to allow you to do that to me, that's on me. So that's, that tends to be where I default to not everybody does that. So, you know, um, I recognize too, that in, in, you know, in those moments of my own victimization where I feel, you know, in a more, uh, victimized mindset, whether I recognize it or not, that's when I have a tendency to blame, you know, people outside of myself for my discomfort. Hey, you know, I, I, I resonate with that a lot. I think on your first point, I, I look back on a lot of my relationships and it felt like I was always taking responsibility for everything. And I almost had a belief that like, well, we're not going to move forward unless I just own all of it every time. And, and I think that set me up to not having in the past, uh, I didn't really have healthy boundaries of learning, okay, what, you know, what is my boundary and how do I communicate that? And I just wanted to kind of like hurry up and get over it and move forward. And so in doing so, I think I would just say my fault, my fault, my fault, even if it wasn't my fault. Uh, and again, it's tricky because it in, in the co-creation mindset, we're always co-creating everything. However, sometimes it's kind of saying like, for me, it's been a big practice of learning how to take create boundaries and say like, okay, I'm still going to show up, but this is a boundary for me. Or how do we talk through this? Cause this isn't going to work. Or I think when I really valued somebody and I'd almost put them on a pedestal mm. and, and not stand up for my boundaries or not push back to say, Hey, 
something maybe sexual or something, whatever. And if I really valued somebody, I'd be like, cool, cool. We can do what you want to do. Instead of being like, you know, this is really important to me. We can take as long as you need to, to, to play in this area, but this area is really important to me and holding firm on that. And uh, I think, you know, vice versa on overcompensation on the responsibility. I think it can be uh, some partners blames people for everything. So I think there's the blame game, but there's also the over, it's like there's both shadows, mm-hmm. right? The, the overly blame and the overly take responsibility. It's almost the martyr, right? Like, oh, I'll, I'll take responsibility for all of it. So you don't have to own any right. of it. So um, just not to interrupt, but just yeah, to put it in the context of, of um, attachment theory, right? The sort of taking all the responsibility is an avoidant thing. Ah. And the blaming thing is sort of like an anxious thing where you're 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 putting your um you're putting the the you're giving too much agency to the other person rather than yourself versus taking all the agency they're both extremes of opposites Mm. but they're not healthy they're both insecurities Hmm. makes total sense yeah i love the application because it's like wow okay Somebody blames somebody else. It's almost like, because that's how it looked to me. It always be like, man, they're starting drama. And I always had, I'd always say it's drama. And they get even more triggered because I'd be like, why are you creating all this drama? And they're like, it's not drama. So it's just a funny, like to look back at some of these patterns of relating and go like, oh, that's what was actually happening was, you know, instead of saying like, here's a pattern. And I think that's, that's maybe another piece is how do we speak into stuff? Like, like I think that's a new skill I'm learning is how do I speak into something? And, and that delicate line between claiming responsibility and calling something out, I think can be a really tricky place. Like where's that middle ground of saying, you know, when this happens, this makes me feel this way. Cause sometimes people can say that and it still is all your fault. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, well, everything you do makes me feel this way. And so it's like, okay, so should I leave? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting. Yeah, totally. And I think that's, that's one of the kind of nice sort of byproducts of the attachment theory is it, it's as long as you, I, I feel like on Facebook, I've noticed some of my friends who have been really diving into this material and this, 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 this type of study it becomes the hammer in which you you're looking for every to fix every relationship nail out there and i think we have to be careful that that's not the case but it's definitely a a, another good filter in which to be able to sort of look at how it it might be applying to certain dynamics that are happening and sort of i you know being able to notice that you know, our, my tendency and, and Josh, your tendency also towards sort of wanting to take all of the responsibility is actually an avoidant tendency. And it's like, ah, right. It, it doesn't, it's a co-creative experience. So it can't be all me. So my tendency to want to do the all me is me reacting from a, a not a secure place. And so all of a sudden yeah. now you have that ability to so go, okay, 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 right. It's a co-creative experience. I need to involve my partner in the solution here. We have to do this together. And it's an easy shutdown. It's a really easy way to say, oh, okay, my fault. Let's move on to the next thing. And there's, <laughs> right. It, it, right? It just, you basically just hid from the whole thing instead of saying like, hey, and I think that's the, that's the work I'm learning is how do I speak in the uncomfortable right. on everything, which is uh, uh, you know, authentic relating saying, Hey, this, this is coming up for me. Right. 
that's my stuff coming up for me very clearly, but it's coming up and I need to communicate right. it, you know, and sometimes you don't always know what that looks like. I've, and sometimes it is stuff that I think we need to work on. Like, like Hey, I, I'm going to communicate it and I, I need to still work on it, but I'm vocalizing it. Sometimes like I remember I had a partner and they, it's funny what triggers us. Right. And they, every time they'd eat, they were scratching their, their teeth on the fork. And for some reason, somebody had like kicked me under the table when I used to do it. And so it created this trigger in me. <laughs> and then I remember being like, I got to vocalize this because this happens all the time. And I try to turn in the joke. I'm like, we can get plastic forks, you know, like, <laughs> but this partner that I was with was so mad at me. She was so angry like thinking that I, you know, of what I was saying that I was judging her. So it's like, it, I guess that's a question for both you guys. How do we speak into un- uncomfortable conversations when a trigger's coming up and we're, trying to take full responsibility and also if it keeps coming up and we're trying things and it's not resolving it what are you know how do we lean into it how do we speak into it without making somebody wrong mm-hmm. um, but also bringing it up so that they know if i'm i'm not eating all the time or i'm like covering you know, like, <laughs> responding weird covering my ears then i looked it up i'm like maybe i got something i gotta work on maybe i got a disease or something i got you know like what are you doing on that but i found verbalizing it <laughs> that's what it was like i was going through that and it's like how do I communicate this and, and how do we solve this together? And she's like, no, it's your problem. You got to fix it. Get over it. You know? And it was like, okay, I'll work on this. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's not the right answer. But um, I, I, I feel like a couple of pieces that I think are coming up strong for me and, and just relating is, you know, the, you know, one having some basic tools like, NVC, right? Nonviolent communication, sort of the basics of how do you communicate your needs and and wants in a way that doesn't make the person that you are talking to feel defensive, right? I would just like to add to that. A lot of times that means it's it, it's not being reflected in the heat of the moment when the emotions are are pretty high. I mean, sometimes just kind of putting that in your pocket and bringing it up at another time when you guys are just a little bit more loose and casual and, you know, and then bringing it up. Cause otherwise, you know, the, 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 the defensive mechanism can get, get triggered. Sure. Really fast. That you're talking about picking your battles or picking not not just picking your battles. So like to Josh's example, it's like, um, you know, he's going to bring it up, but maybe not bring it up right then and there, but maybe bring it up at a separate time. Um, but I do think, you know, a separate time when you guys aren't triggered, but I do think, um, you know, look, every relationship is all about, um, you know, give and take and you do have to fight your battles at some point. And you may have to get to a point where how important is this battle, right? You know, if, um, you know, to me, having someone who is physically active is really important to me. And when they're not physically active all the time, I, I I can't see myself having a super thriving relationship when you know someone doesn't decide to exercise or work out because I just have, have this belief that the, the physicality of your body temple has a direct impact on your mood and, and, and how you treat your partner and everything else. And so you may get to a point where you're asking nicely to, hey, let's go on walks or you know, hey, let's 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 gamify. Let's see who can go to the gym, you know, more often or whatever it happens to be. And you're doing it in a really nice way. You may have to get to a point where you ask, you're asking yourself, like, you know, how important is this to me? And at what point does that become more important of having a partner that embodies that to sacrificing or compromising something that is that 
important, right? So it is picking and choosing your battles, but it's also, um, you know, picking and choosing the dynamics, which are very important in a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And to add on to that point, Josh, you were asking like, well, in, in a situation like that, how do you speak to your partner who's doing something that, you know, grates on your nerves, but you know that even from the past when you've brought it up before, it hasn't gone well. They haven't been prepared to sort of accept a responsibility or to see that that's something that they do. So, you know, how do you, how do you communicate in a way that's more effective, right? Yeah, well, that's, and I think I'm just thinking of who's listening to this. And again, we, we all geek out on emotional intelligence tools right. and all these models. And, you know, and I think of where I still had challenges. And if it was challenging for me, and I'm working really hard to work on this, imagine somebody who doesn't have any of the tools or hasn't worked on any of this. Right. And they're just sitting there going like, man, I run into road walls five times a week. Right. You know, every night we're running to dinner and like, I just don't say a word. I keep it all quiet, which is another. So I think talking through what are some creative ways that that somebody could bring it up and maybe we give multiple suggestions. I like Scott. So like waiting for the appropriate time and you know, what are some other, so just maybe solutions that we're all working on that, uh, how to mm-hmm. speak into some of these um, and, and still take ownership and still speak into them. Maybe an interesting dialogue that somebody might go, ah, oh, let me try that. And if that doesn't work, let me try this other one. And if that doesn't work, right. you know, cause it's not just a, you try this and then, and I see that with some people where they go, well, I tried and then it didn't work and then they shut down. So maybe yeah. we could provide two, three, four, five different solutions that they're like, oh, I'll try this one. If that didn't work, I'll try this one and, and keep trying. So I'm just curious between all of us, maybe a couple of ways that have worked or that we do find successful. Before, <laughs> this is what's happening for me. This is what's coming up for me um, is that I feel like uh, what I have would have a tendency to do in the past is sort of like front load whatever it is that I'm about to say to somebody that I think might be triggering for them and front loading it by saying, Hey, I'm going to say something that's difficult and it might feel challenging to you, but I want to let you know that I'm, you know, giving it to you with as much love and care as I possibly can. If it doesn't resonate for you, then don't, then uh, ignore it. You know, I mean, that's one way I call that front loading, right. Is sort of preparing, Mm -hmm. preparing your partner to receive the information that in a way that they can accept it rather than feel defensive or feel attacked by it. Um, that's a tool that I, it's great. Yeah. And with that, do you ever ask permission? That's another good way to do it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think per- permission, I, I think it's almost kind of the saying the front loading is part of sort of, but you're right. Permission is even a next step because what I'm doing is sort of, sort of preparing the skid. I'm greasing the skids like saying, okay, so get ready because I'm about to share something with you that might have be problematic. Da, 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 da. So that person can breathe and they can ground themselves and go, okay, here's some, something challenging. What you're saying is, Hey, would you mind if I gave you some, some, and that, that's also another powerful, valuable tool. Yeah. I like that. Well, and that also gives them the chance to say, I'm not ready. um, 
no, or I'm not ready, or maybe later, because you know, there's times yeah. um, you know, when Michelle will say something to me and she's like, Well, do you, you know, she's like, Well, I, I need to talk about this right now. And I'm at a point where it's just like I need to clear my head and I know that I'm gonna be reactive. I know that I'm not gonna be in my heart. And there's been times when she's asked me that and I said, Look, I hear you and I and I know you wanna to talk about this, but I can't. Like I'm just Right now, I can't talk about this because I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to take it in. I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm not going to be able to come at this in a constructive manner and that I just need a little bit of space. But I will circle back around and, you know, we can do that later tonight or we can do it tomorrow. But just right now, I'm just, I, I'm not in that place to, to receive that right now without getting defensive and without getting angry or whatever it happens to be. Right, so. Right. I know that could be a really yeah, great tool. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. I one I I use too is I I take responsibility for my trigger pattern and and communicate it in a way that somebody doesn't need to fix it. Like, hey, I'm not wanting you to fix this, but I've been noticing this has been coming up for me, and I've been struggling with it. So, leading with the vulnerability of exactly. where I'm I'm challenged, saying, hey, this trigger's been coming up for me. It keeps happening. It's not just you. It happens with everybody. I'm really working hard on it but it keeps coming up. I don't really know what to do. So I'm, I'm, I feel really embarrassed about it. I feel really like actually going into the feeling of like, I feel embarrassed. I feel judgmental. I hate, I'm having a hard time with these qualities of myself. So I'm verbalizing it to use the next step to try to free myself or, you know, something that takes full responsibility and might say, Hey, this is coming up, but it's not, I need you to fix this for me to feel better. It's just, I need to share this with you in hopes that I can feel better. I can move to a different place because I'm in this pain. I need to let you know. So some sort of a, a self responsibility of what the feelings are. And for me, describing the sensations of like I'm embarrassed or uncomfortable, which feels very vulnerable, I find also creates an opening connection where they're like, okay, so they're not just throwing a dagger. This is actually uncomfortable or harder to, um, to walk through. Yeah. <clears throat> just adding on to that. I think I was, you like read my mind, Josh. I mean, I believe that that's as much of a tool is, is, it's as actually even more of a sort of um, a paradigm shift. Like if we, as people in a culture can, like I said, in that conversation after, after uh, when we were last hanging out, if we can change and reformat our, our relationship with vulnerability, kind of like what Brene Brown is talking about, that will do a large amount towards how we manage our, our disconnects with people by coming from our vulnerability, like you said, by looking at our vulnerability as a strength and a tool rather than as a weakness, even though you're describing it as these are the uncomfortable parts. But by doing that, it's kind of like the yawn, right? I'm yawning my vulnerabilities into the space. And then that means that you automatically are going to feel softer or my partner, or whoever I'm dealing with is going to feel softer, feel less defensive because you're clearly not, ta you're not attacking them. You're you're coming from your own experience and you're saying, Hey, this is where I'm challenged. That allows the, your partner to feel, oh, okay, I have challenging parts too. And this is not about us pointing out each other's. This is about us owning our own and then seeing how each, how we each might stimulate those weaknesses or those vulnerabilities within each other. 
Yeah, and, and I love that. And something else that came up was one more solution. I, I was recently, uh, about six months ago, I was I was dating somebody abroad, and we were just starting to kind of uh, explore each other uh, emotionally. And I remember from the flip side, she was getting really triggered about the time that it would take me to respond, or like so she was going through her own triggers. But on the flip side of it, seeing it, she never had asked me. She would go right to the to like you did this and it means this, and this is why I'm having this experience. Right. And for me, I was always like, I'd be, I would love the curiosity, like, Hey, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? Like, like I sent you a response. You didn't get back to it for four or five hours. You were responding on your social media. Like, can you walk me through your day? Was that intentional? Were you doing other things? Like just directly asking questions would have, I feel like would have been like, Oh no, here's what I was doing. Here's my flow. And that she would have seen mm-hmm. there was no intention to hurt her. I actually, I didn't even know she sent a message until later. And then I responded, but for her, that pattern showed up three times and that, that was for her like death and, and it meant all these things and she would immediately go into the blame. And so I guess seeing it on the flip side, I guess another solution would be to become really curious about whatever our story mm-hmm. is that they're doing and actually ask them questions before assuming that it, it's what they did. So for example, her thinking that I treated her a certain way and was responding to all these other women was her interpretation. Instead, I was just responding to people and didn't know that she'd reached out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So it was like a, a totally different misconnect, but to her, it was so real and so vivid of what I've done. It was like irreplaceable. And so I guess, um, like another solution is become really curious. If this is what my story is, how do I ask a bunch of questions? Because they may be my past fears or, or traumas or pain, or I might be reliving something through this trigger. And if I just ask questions around it, I may find it has nothing to do with what actually happened. And I don't even need to go into expressing it if I find like, oh, so I'm always looking for what's the intent. So just maybe one potential solution around that as well. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, one of my teachers always told me, uh, or one of the things that I took from it was, you know, ask the question, mm-hmm. what else could this mean? And, and so often because we have old stories, old reference points of dynamics that have happened in our, in our past relationships where, oh, this person was, was contacting me with this kind of frequency and then all of a sudden, you know, now the frequency's spaced out a little bit. So it must mean this or it probably means this. And, you know, there's that, uh, uh, what's that theory that it's Octave's theory or Octum's theory that the, the most obvious answer is, is probably the most logical, which is probably, which a lot of times is true. Um, but there's so many times that we go into our head and what we think is true, or we just assume the other person is doing based on our history, our reference points, our stories to allow ourselves a different interpretation of it, right? Maybe a more empowering interpretation until we actually get the facts or until we actually have that communication. Because what ends up happening is we end up creating all sorts of unnecessary uh, anxiousness and anxiety, um, uh, not only with us, but through our partner as well. So, I mean, I, I really like that one. Just, just ask lots of questions, get curious and like, like, what else could this mean? You know, he didn't get back to me for a few hours. Does it mean that he's contacting other girls? Does it mean he's not interested? Does it mean he's disrespecting me? Not necessarily. So it could mean something else. You know, it could mean that, you know, an asteroid, hit the cell tower (laughs) or whatever it happens to be like, I don't know, but let's allow that possibility. So 
you know, it can appease me until I actually have that conversation yeah. with them. You know, I mean, you never know. Um, but, but how do we basically, um, take ourselves out of unnecessarily getting into these point of anxiousness based on, um, I guess theories. Right. Or well, and it's knowing yourself. I think when you look Josh at that experience with the woman that you were just talking about through the lens of attachment theory, where would you say she falls? Perfect. It's a perfect example. She would, she would go to, she's anxious and I was being Clearly. avoided. So she, right. she'd lean overly in. And if it wasn't a period of time, um, that's, I love how you just tied it all back in again. It was like, Oh, this was her saying like, and I could see that pattern. Uh, but again, I, for me, it just kept getting so heightened with her, um, that it was too much and she couldn't handle it, you know? And it was like, uh, so yeah, no, that's, I love that lens. That's what it was is she wouldn't hear for four hours or whatever. Um, and, and that was to her like, Oh my God, this is death. This means death. Cause again, you're saying back to childhood, that meant somebody wasn't there to support them. Right. So right. I'm looking for security. He's not secure. Oh, and he posted on, he responded to some Facebook comment and he didn't respond. to <laughs> right. me. It's like, Oh shit, that's not secure. So I get it from her perspective. She's like, fuck, fuck him. Right. 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 <laughs> this is death. This is so rude. And that I can have more compassion for Cause to me, I was just like, man, I had no ill intention. I didn't even think about it. You know, I was just, I didn't see your text. So, uh, right. yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I, my, the irony is exactly what you said because she was doing it. I was almost like, why are you creating drama? Right. So that's, <laughs> which was actually yeah. me judging her, her anxious instead of being gentle and compassionate. Like, right. Oh, I really understand you need this. Let's talk through this. I felt so attacked that I would attack. I, I feel like it brought out the attacker. Like I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you attacking me? And then I would almost be like, attacking back unconsciously. And so this is a great reminder to be like, okay, if I'm feeling attacked, protect myself, create a boundary. Hey, uh, I understand you have this need. You don't need to attack me or blame me. I didn't do this intentionally. Uh, but let's talk through this could be a, a solution in the future. Right. And then at the same time, recognizing that your first sort of reaction to her is also not your most secure place, right? You're in your avoidant because you're you're reacting to her by going, "Why are you creating drama?" That's an avoidant. That's an avoidant insecure tendency versus a secure place, which would be like, "Oh, sweetie, you're you're mm -hmm. you're you know you're a little anxious here. I can see that. You don't even have to tell them. I see that you are feeling like I'm not showing up here. What can I do for you?" leaning into her and a, a secure place is like, okay, you need somebody to, to step up because you're anxious. Okay. So I'll step up in this moment and not feel like I'm either giving myself away or I'm coddling you or I'm doing anything. I'm just meeting you where you need to be met at this moment. That's, that's non-defensive awesome. place. Like non exactly. Non because it doesn't really have an impact. Yeah. You don't lose anything by giving this extra space this person, this extra attention that they need to sort of ground their nervous system in that moment versus how I probably would have dealt with it just like you, Josh, would have been like, what's up with the drama, babe? Come on. Right? <laughs> 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 yeah. I was like, come on. I might. And I've been done almost really defensive. Like I'm really hurt. I was where I went to like, I had no ill intention and I'm thinking about you. And I actually wish I would have seen your text earlier. And so it was just really interesting, but wow, what a powerful way to show up of like, oh, sweetie, 
right? Really gentle, really loving. You need some, you need some love. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm here with you. Like it could be that simple. Yeah. Uh, I'm here. I love that. Well, I, and I think the interesting thing is I, I think to, to really come from, like we talked about earlier, like a truly non-defensive place um, is, is from a place when none of that has any resonance with you at all. Um, but I think sometimes even, even if it has a little bit of resonance, even if you know that's not kind of who you are now, but me, it's something that you've been working on for a long time and you're like, wow, okay. Um, I, I know that's not how I was feeling this, but maybe there was these tendencies that was, that happened to be coming up, um, again. So maybe we're not even aware of it. And then we get a little bit defensive or we, you know, we almost become a little bit apologetic as a, as opposed to something that's just so far off the spectrum where, you know, she comes up to you and says, Oh, you haven't contact, you know, contacted me in a while. Uh, God, Josh, you just like, you're just not compassionate with your fellow you know, your fellow brothers, your fellow sisters, like, like you, you, you only think about yourself, which is obviously not true with the work that you're doing. And that would have almost no resonance with you that does that make sense where, where there's almost a little bit of defensiveness, if there happens to be just even a little bit of, um, mm. like you're resonating mm-hmm. with it just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I, I, I do is, as I have been starting to do is, is, is especially with the, the, some of the women that I'm hmm. dating, the safer ones. I mean, just the mere fact that you're you're dating a woman that's in another country or overseas is kind of <laughs> an avoidant tendency, right? That was it. Yeah, so. I was recognizing that one. I'm like, okay, here's something going on here. <laughs> so, <laughs> what am I doing here? Emotionally unavailable? Yep, this is what I'm working through. <laughs> right. So then that gives us the opportunity to then have some compassion for ourselves, right? It's kind of like mm. I, I, I got in this situation with somebody and I could see her avoidant coming up and her pulling away. And I was just like, hey, the avoidant in me sees the avoidant in you. And I see mm. that that's what's happening for you. And that's because I do that too. And if mm-hmm. I'm going to have some compassion for you, I've got to have compassion for me. And then we can all function in a better space mm-hmm. if we're all having compassion for ourselves and each other. Mm. I love that. I love that. And that, that really, again, ties it all together of like, when we see that shows the solution out, the solution out is if we're moving into an anxious or avoidant, the way out is to have compassion for us that we are moving out and be gentler with it. And as we're gentler with us, we can be gentler with them yeah. because there's more compassion, yeah. which is beautiful. Yeah. And because these, these coping mechanisms, these, these n- neurological reactions are happening on a precognitive level. We, it, it's happening whether we know it or not. So if we cognitively can just accept that that's kind of how we do things, oh, you're catching me here. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let me relax. Let me go try to come back to center and not feel the, the, the defensiveness that I'm feeling right now or not feel you know, the anxiousness that I'm feeling right now because that's my stuff. You know, this is this state of being has been happening inside of me long before whoever it is I'm relating to in this moment happened. So I can't be blaming them for all of my feelings. You know, that's kind of how I start to get back into self-responsibility. I love that. Um, We've only got a few minutes here. And, you know, before we wrap up, uh, you know, I was thinking of, 
and I'd love to get your guys' feedback on this as you know a, a tool. Um, you know that you were asking about earlier, Josh. Is I, I think sometimes when you know, like Michelle and I get into, we kind of like recatch ourselves in in a pattern or a tiff um, or some type of disagreement that you know that we've been working on for for a while, but then we find that we get caught up in it again. Um, what I find is because that we've actually talked about this multiple times, but we just, it just kind of came to our not non-cognitive awareness. Like where it just like what uh, Lance just said, it's like, it's coming whether you're aware of it or not. And sometimes when we're both just unaware of it, we just get caught up in this loop is sometimes for me to just break her pattern or, or, or we try to break each other's pattern and you know, where we get caught up in it and we're just like, I, I come up to her and I said like, oh, fuck, we're doing this shit again. You know what? We need to just move to Italy, sell our place, grab the cats and like start a new whole life. You want to go do that? Let's go do that next week. How's that sound? Right. And, and just try to break it because I think sometimes there's not much more to say because we fucking, we, we've gone through it and like many, many, many times. And so I think for me, uh, you know, just breaking the state a little bit just to kind of like bring it to the non-cognitive awareness to the cognitive awareness of like, huh, fuck, we're doing it again. So um, I, I don't know if it kind of ties into the same type of tools, but yeah, yeah, I'd say pattern interrupts are another like excellent way to do it. I remember I used to have, and again, this is what helps dating women that live in your city, uh, at least <laughs> in your state <laughs> versus in a different country. But uh, <laughs> But uh, I had a, a woman that I lived with, a partner that I lived with, and 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 when we'd get into fights, I'd grab her up. She'd she'd actually go running down the hallway, and she'd like burrow up and cry. And I'd I'd chase her down the hallway, and I'd pin her arms and legs mm -hmm. out. And and she instead of crying, she'd start laughing, and then we'd laugh together, and it would turn into like because she was super sensitive, and so she'd cry really easy. And if I was a little uh, rougher on the edges, it was like boom, tears and out. And and then I started learning one other tool. So the pattern interrupts, interrupting the pattern, joking, playing, picking them up. I also found hugging. Sometimes you can't hug when you're fighting. So literally, or you can't fight when you're hugging. So another huge one for me was realizing that. And like, I even caught myself the first time I went to do it. I was like, I don't want to do this because I, I want to fight. And I caught myself. I'm like, wow, okay, I'm I'm in the fight mode. But they say there's something about um, doing it. And I practice afterward and it would shift. It's like, hey, can we just hold each other while we think through this? Mm. We can still fight, but can we just come here? Can you can we hold each other? Can you lay on each other? Can we can we like hug, embrace? And then after a couple minutes, it starts to shift. Yeah. So I think that's another great pattern interrupt is to hold each other um, while you're fighting if you can. Yeah. Um, and it starts to move it, but I pat great pattern interrupts are so key. Yeah. If both people can be consciously know what you're doing and crack jokes or pattern interrupts in the way, and it's not taken the wrong way. Right. Disrupts pattern disrupts just to add on to that. Um, <clears throat> there's a whole, um, sort of, um, science that's developing around somatic therapy that does exactly what you're talking about. I was going to say it early and I kind of got, I forgot, but you know, as a pattern disrupt hugging, making physical contact in and of itself is a way to sort of ground the nervous system down. And even if it's just about, if you're going to 
get into a deep, heavy conversation, if you just reach out and hold the hand of the person that you're relating to, it's difficult for them to stay in a state of disconnect if you're physically holding them in that connected space. That's mm-hmm. exactly what you're doing. You're talking about hugging them. That's mm-hmm. grounding them. So somatic therapists, mm-hmm. that's how they actually get in. This is a whole nother podcast, but you know, there's the, 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 the conventional wisdom is trauma is stored in the body. And so it's precognitive. It's not part of thought. It's trauma from your childhood is all stored in the body. So somatic therapists are figuring out how to work with you on a physical level to tap into that subtle energy that is holding that trauma in the body. And a lot of times they're just sort of feeling the body and holding certain points and certain places on the body until something comes up, some, some energy starts to move. And so part of what you're saying, as far as relationships are concerned, yeah, just touching each other, holding each other is a great way to sort of interrupt patterns of disconnection because you're now in connection. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a a whole topic for a whole nother show. We've got some friends that do some pretty deep healing work and, and they're of the belief that, uh, pretty much all pain, um, trauma, like a- anything that um, is emotionally hard or scarring, we, we store it in the physical body and the physical body has this great opportunity to, to really release that. And I, I love the fact that we can use that also as a tool and a modality to diffuse maybe get back in the heart get to a more connected place and it sounds like the minute we touch each other we create this connection and we kind of almost go from our head to our heart to allow us to kind of assess situations so much better um wow thank you for that well we're about out of time um i just want to thank lance again we're going to have to bring him on for a future show there's just so many other amazing topics to explore but um lance i just wanted to thank you again for uh sharing your heart and sharing your wisdom with us Absolutely, thank you for having me on this fantastic podcast and um thank you for all the work both of you guys do in the world and in my life also you've been amazing brothers and supports for me so i'm grateful to show up in this space with you Mm. Yeah, it's been so good, brother. So good connecting. Looking forward to doing it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, uh, if you do have any questions, as always, please uh, hit us up at podcast at masteringfulfillment.com or you can find us at the masteringfulfillment.com website. And for any items that we talked about, as always, we'll put links in the, the show notes. Until the next episode, with much love and deep respect. you enjoyed this show we would be so grateful if you left a review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts this helps us out immensely thank you so much are you ready to take your personal relational or business fulfillment to the next level with one-on-one personal support co-developed strategies and accountability scott and joshua have the tools compassion and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details.